All right, well, thanks. A lot of great stuff here in the middle of the summer going on. Three mission trips. Uh, we commissioned one here, two more at the next hour, Vacation Bible School and Shepherd. And yet one of the biggest questions I've been getting is, how is the work of the pastor nominating committee going? I talked to Dave Gall this week. He's the chair of our nominating committee. And Dave said he didn't want to personally give uh, an update this morning, but I could give a brief update for him. So really four things. They're still receiving personal information forms, which are the long resumes that they get. They're having interviews, so they are conducting interviews with candidates. He said, we're making progress, that's number three, and they have some promising candidates. And so you can kind of read into that what you want. There's still some time to go in the process. We don't have an end date. Uh, When God wants to bring that person to us, God will bring that person to us at the right time. But again, he wanted to let you know They are making progress, and we have some promising candidates. They will be reporting directly to the congregation, somebody from the PNC on August 11th, four Sundays from today on August 11th. Okay. Well, today is the final uh, time in this series in Acts. We are in the church together. Um, And I wanted to let you know, um, after we, uh, this Sunday, then we go down to Shepherd next Sunday, uh, I'm going to take two weeks vacation after that. And so I'm excited to let you know that on July 28th and August 4th, Jim Livengood is going to be up here bringing the message to you. Uh, Jim's been a Sunday school teacher, a Bible teacher here at ZPC for many years, off and on, oftentimes up in room 201. And of all the people I've had say, hey, you ought to have this person preach, Jim's name has probably come up more than anybody else. So uh, Jim's going to be preaching on July 28th and August 4th. He's a great Bible teacher, and uh, I know that you'll... Enjoy hearing from Jim on those dates. But again, this morning we're finishing up our time in the, in the start of the book of Acts. We are in this church together. And again, here's how Philip Yancey, a uh, great Christian author, described the church in talking about the church. And we mentioned this already with the kids. He says, without a doubt, my all-time favorite animal is the duck-billed platypus. This strange animal stymied scientists for years And in fact, the first platypuses shipped back to England in the 1800s were judged frauds. People were not about to fall for a bizarre concoction of ducksbill, web feet, and beaver's body. The platypus, though, holds a certain charm precisely because it breaks all the rules. Somehow or other, it still works as an animal. Philip Yancey says, I like to believe that in designing the platypus, God had some fun in stretching the limits of natural law. He says, I like the platypus for another reason. Its combination of so many incompatible features in one humble animal gives me hope that we humans too can break some of the rules that govern the organisms in which we are involved. I am thinking of the local church. He says the New Testament's favorite metaphor for the church is the body of Christ. And Philip Yancey says, all my exposure to Christian organizations has convinced me that the church, like the platypus, is a whole made up of contradictory parts. So the church must live like a platypus in a world of mammals, reptiles, and fowl. And he goes on to say this, we, the church, must strive to be these things. The church must be efficient, yet compassionate. The church must be unified, yet diverse. The church must be structured and yet flexible. The church is like a business with the building that we're meeting in today, and and the church is also like a family. 
with brothers and sisters. So we want to be the church together, to be all those things together. And let's read again about what God says about the church uh, through Luke as he write, writes in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. If you'd like to read along, it'll be on the screens or the Bible under you or the Bible, your Bible that you brought from home. This is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Hear God's word. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Most loving God, we ask that you open our minds to understand your word that we have just read and heard and apply it to our lives and to this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we have been doing, we've printed some notes in your bulletin which go along with today's passage on the left-hand side. You can look at those if you want. If not, if you'd rather just listen, that's fine too. But I want to to walk you through those quickly because they, they go with today's passage and what we're trying to get out of today's passage. As we, as we look at the church, we see that we must address issues quickly when, address, when issues arise. And we all have, all churches have issues in their lives with balanced leadership and see how everyone can be part of the solution. We see in Acts chapters 5, 6, and 7, all those chapters, that the church is having issues the early church and ZPC, that we have issues. Acts, in Acts 6, verses 2 through 4, we see that the church then addresses issues with balanced leadership. How do we address our issues? Well, God gives us many ways in the New Testament of how we might address problems or sin or issues. Two of the best places, I think, are Ephesians 4. We learn about speaking the truth in love in Matthew 18 when we go to our brother or sister directly and talk with them. Then in verses 5 and 6 in this passage, it says, everyone plays a part. We each have gifts and roles, and we don't want to wait to fulfill our roles. And then finally, the word of God spreads as we all do our part, and God blesses the faithful early church, and God blesses the church today. Then as that happens, God's word spreads um, through all out that known world, and God's word continues to spread today as we play our part um, in the church So, first of all, we're going to look at the fact that the church has issues. And we said in chapters 5, 6, and 7. So we've seen in in the first part of the book of Acts, everything is going great. You know, the church is doing well. But we see that finally the church is having some issues. In chapter 5, we see where Ananias and Sapphira uh, lie to the church and lie to the Holy Spirit about bringing gifts to the church. We also see in chapter 5 that the leaders of some of the leaders of the new church are, are thrown in jail for speaking about Jesus, and we had read about that before as well. And then here in chapter 6, we see that some of the widows are being overlooked. 
in the daily distribution of food. So it appears that the Greek-speaking widows, the ones who are from a Greek background, are getting neglected, and the Jewish uh, Christian widows from the Jewish background are getting their food first. And this happens sometimes in our churches today, where one group in the church feels neglected or feels overlooked or may actually be neglected or overlooked. So what happened then, and it happens um, now as well. But what we see, and the good news is, is that the early church addresses the issues. And what's impressive is how they deal with the issues. They deal with the issues apparently very directly and very quickly, and we can learn from that. So Jesus gives them some guidance. Um, Jesus could give us some guidance. As we're looking at our problems and how do we deal with um, issues or sin in our lives, we can look to Jesus' example. What does he say about how do we deal with problems? How do we deal with them um, directly in our lives? And here's what he says in Matthew 18, verses 15 and 16. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault um, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So Jesus is saying that when we have problems, we should address them face to face with respect and we should seek resolution, resolution to those problems. What about in Ephesians 4? So we see that a lot of the other early churches are having problems as well. And I think that makes me feel a little bit better about our church because when I see when I have issues in our church or when I sin, when I mess up, hey, that happened back then too um, in Scripture. The church in Ephesus had issues as well. And Paul says this in Ephesians 4. He says, how can we grow? He said, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So the body of Christ, we're going to become mature in Christ, speaking the truth in love. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So Paul's saying we should address issues truthfully, but in love. You know, we're to talk to each other, um, not about each other. And I can say that I'm not perfect in that. And yet that's what Jesus calls us to. That's what Paul calls us to, to speak truthfully and with love to each other and not about each other and to come to each other with respect. So we see that the disciples are addressing the issues in the early church um, head on. And they tell the leaders of the church to assign seven men who are going to oversee some of the distribution of food, that they're going to help take care of this. And so we see in our lives and in the early church that everyone plays a part with our gifts, abilities, and experience. Everyone should play a part in the church with our gifts, abilities, and experience. And as we look around the church, even as we've seen today, and we're going to see tonight at VBS, some are good working with children. Others are good working with adults. Um, Some of you are people who are comfortable being up front, leading prayer, teaching Sunday school, doing different things from the front. Others of you are more comfortable being behind the scenes, being an organizer or serving with your hands. But each of us has gifts, abilities, and experiences that we share. And every job, every part that is done matters to God. And it has to be there for the church to work together. And this is the beauty of the church. 
when we all find our, our gifts and our abilities and we use them, the church works. And we need each other to make it work because um, we don't all look the same. We come from different kinds of backgrounds and families. And we're not gathered here uh, because of some of the things that the world sees. We're not gathered here because our kids or our grandkids play soccer together or baseball together. We're not gathered here in this room because we're all the same age or the same age group. We're not gathered here because we all live in Zionsville. People come from a lot of different locations on the north side of Indianapolis to come to church here. We're gathered here, as the early church did, because of our faith, because we believe the same essential things, that Jesus is the Son of God. This is what the early church, as you read in Acts, they continued to hammer that message, to preach the message that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for our sins, that we might live, that he rose from the dead, proving that he is God. And so that's our message. And so we don't come together for all those other things. That's the message that we come together for and to share in and to share life together. Philip Yancey, he's the one whose favorite animal is the platypus. He says this about the church. Church offers a place where infants and grandparents, unemployed and executives, immigrants and blue bloods can come together. He said of his own experience, just yesterday I sat sandwiched between an elderly man hooked up to an oxygen tank and a breastfeeding baby who grunted loudly and contentedly throughout the sermon. Where else can we find that mixture but the church? So in Acts 6, we see that the disciples solve their problem by addressing it with balanced leadership and by calling on others to come alongside them as servant leaders. And this is an important part, I think, to, to think about because the disciples, uh, maybe at some point they were trying to do everything, but they see that they cannot do everything and they want to fulfill what their gifts are and what their call is from Jesus. Jesus said that they were to preach the word and to tell others about him. And so they don't want to give that up. And so it says here in Acts, they devote themselves to the preaching of the word and prayer. Now, it doesn't say that they felt that they were above um, helping the widows or helping to distribute food, but they needed to fulfill their call. I read this week from a pastor and writer named Brian Wilkerson. He said this, I'm sure the disciples found it satisfying to be helping people in practical ways, like waiting on tables, as it says in Acts 6. But they came to realize that by trying to do it all themselves, they were not only failing to keep up, they were also neglecting their primary responsibilities and were depriving other members the opportunity to serve. In other words, by asking others to help serve and lead, they are saying no to doing that themselves. And yet, by, but by saying no, they allow others to say yes. Again, by leaders saying no in the church, they allow others to say yes. So when we say no, others can say yes and step up and serve. You know, we've even seen that this morning in this service um, where people are stepping up in different ways. We have different people praying. You know, many people up here leading worship. Um, a lot of people serving in different ways. I've had some people ask me, someone even asked me this week, Scott, do you feel overwhelmed? You know, we used to have three pastors earlier this year, or in the past, as many as five pastors, and you're the only one here. Now, Quentin's been wonderful to help out on Sundays and Mondays, but I've been honest in saying, I don't feel overwhelmed because there's so many of you 
both staff and lay people within the church, people who are officers of the church, people who are not officers of the church, who are finding your sweet spot and stepping in and serving and leading. And that's what the church should look like. Well, soon, uh, well, first, we wanted to talk about um, an important word here as well. In Acts 6, it talks about the word, it uses the verb to serve. And this form of this word to serve is diakoneo, where we get our word deacons from. And so deacons within the contemporary church today are people who are servant leaders within our church. As we go along in this passage, we see that other people are serving. So, we, so first, we've been hearing from Peter and John a lot. Now we see Stephen and Philip step up. And then we also begin to see women stepping up in leadership too. In Acts chapter 9, we see Dorcas the seamstress, it says, who's in ministry. We soon, soon see Lydia, the church planner, uh, Priscilla, the teacher, and Philip's daughters who prophesy. So God is using men and women, even in the very earliest months and first year of the church, God is using women and men to do his ministry, and we do that again today. Today in our church, we have men and women serving, and we have deacons like those early servant leaders, and you wonder sometimes, what are the what do the deacons do? We've talked about that a little bit on here on Sundays, but I'd like to tell you again. Some of the deacons are, all the deacons are making connecting calls where they may be calling you at your home. They help make hospital visits. There's a team of them that do that. There's a prayer team. They organize our fellowship and fun events. They do community assistance in the Good Samaritan Fund. There's a bereavement team that helps at funerals and supports those uh, when people have a loved one who passes away. And there's bundle of joy, help for new moms. And then they help out in others' ways as well. But there's so many of you serving, even those of you who will be serving tonight at Vacation Bible School by being one of the volunteers. Well, what are leaders, what are servant leaders supposed to look like? They can look like a lot of different ways. But here's two things when they describe uh, the person Stephen and they select those first seven servant leaders. They say that Stephen is full of the Spirit means he has God's spirit in him. He wasn't just filled one time. He's full of God's spirit, and he's gifted by the Holy Spirit to do work. And then he also said he has wisdom. And as Solomon tells us in Proverbs, wisdom comes from knowing God. It's more than intelligence or anything else. Wisdom comes from knowing God. Then we see that the disciples um, lay hands on those early servant leaders And they pray for them, just as we did with the mission team here, just as we do when we have new officers in the church. We lay hands and pray on them. So we're blessing them to go and to do ministry. What happens next? Well, the word of God spreads. You know, as we've only gotten through Acts chapter 6 or part of that, there's a whole other part of the book. Well, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of those early deacons, is martyred. He's killed for his faith because he's telling others about Jesus and people see him as a threat. In Acts chapter 8, we see Saul persecuting the church. But God even uses that to spread the word because then a lot of the early Christians start to leave Jerusalem and go to other towns and villages where they tell other people about Jesus. Very soon, Jesus appears to Saul. Saul becomes Paul. And much of the second half of the book of Acts is Paul and others, like Barnabas and others, going out um, into the world all around the Mediterranean, um, planting churches and telling others about the good news of Jesus. So can we all play a part in the church? 
Yes, we can. God will use anyone and everyone who is willing and able to serve. Pastor and writer Mark Buchanan tells a story about a lady um, who came to his church um, who wanted to serve and to lead, and her name was Wanda. Now, he says that Wanda was an alcoholic, and she was desperate, but she was thirsty for something else other than alcohol. He says that she called the church one day, wondering if she could see a pastor, and right now, two of us met with her. She told us her troubled story. I told her about the woman at the well whose life, like Wanda's, wasn't going well. But this woman met Jesus, and he offered her living water. I explained what living water was and asked Wanda if she would like some. Oh, yeah, she said. We prayed. She confessed. She repented. And she surrendered. And she drank deep of the living water of Jesus Christ. The other pastor that was meeting with me said, Now, Wanda, this Sunday will be your first time in church. Don't feel that you have to fit in right away. You can sit at the back if you like. You can come late. You can leave early. Whatever is comfortable on this first Sunday. Wanda looked at him kind of sideways and said, why would I do that? I've been waiting for this all my life. That Sunday, Wanda was the first to arrive in Mark Buchanan's church. He says that she sat at the front and she loudly agreed with everything I said. She was the last to leave. The next Sunday, the same thing, except she brought a friend, one of her kind of people. I preached on servanthood. Servanthood. My main point, if you've tasted the love of Jesus, you'll want to serve. It was Communion Sunday. In those days, we called our elders the servant leadership team, and I asked the servant leaders to come and help with communion. That day, only two of our team were in church, and they straggled to the front. But all Wanda heard was the word servant, and she had been listening intently to my sermon. If you tasted the love of Jesus, you'll want to serve. So she walked straight up to serve communion with the other two servants. And Pastor Mark Buchanan says, I flinched. But then I remembered Luke 7 and Jesus' words to Simon the Pharisee as a woman, not unlike Wanda, washed Jesus' feet. And he said, do you see that woman? Do you see her? And so Pastor Mark said that he saw her and he leaned over to Wanda and he said, since this is your very first time doing this, do you mind if I help? He says, so Wanda and I served communion together. And the best part was watching the faces of the people that I love and serve and pray for and preach to. No one flinched. They saw her. They saw her as a servant in the church. And so as we read in Acts chapter 6, we see the word of God spread as all the early Christians do their part. And it says that God blessed the church. God used the church then, and God can use the church today. Um, God may, may God bless us in our church today that when we have issues in this church, we will address them with truth and love, and that when we have needs, we will meet them by being servant leaders, finding our spots, and that others, when they see us, will know that we are Christians by our love. I'd like to close by using a prayer by um, a Christian writer and leader named John Stott. John Stott um, was a great Christian leader who died earlier this year. And he has a wonderful prayer for the church 
I've added in a little bit about ZPC, but it's for the church universal as well. So let's close using this prayer. Lord Jesus, head of the church, we bow our heads in humility before you. We thank you, O God, that it is your loving purpose to build a church and a people. We thank you that you've given us the great privilege of being members of the church. And we thank you that this body is worldwide, multicultural, multiracial, multinational. It is a community. We thank you that one day we will stand before the throne of God in heaven, a great company that nobody can number from every nation, people, tribe, and language, and that we will worship throughout eternity. Meanwhile, we pray for our churches on earth, even for us here at ZPC, that we may be the people that you have called us to be, that we may approximate ever more closely this beautiful ideal that you have given us in your word for the church. We humbly pray not only for the good of this church, for the people gathered in this room right now, but for the whole church, for the world, and not only for the world, but for the glory of your great and worthy name. In Jesus' name, amen.